0: Welcome to the Disco Posse podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for the GC on demand, then you found the freshly rebranded Disco Posse podcast. Go to discopossepodcast.com for details. everyone to the Disco Posse podcast my name is Eric Wright I'm going to be your host today don't forget to keep following along you can go to discopossepodcast.com get show notes links and more you can subscribe on iTunes Spotify Stitcher and with that let's get started Well, for folks who were listening to us on the first uh, round, you heard uh, me uh, get the conversation started. I'm lucky enough here uh, to be with Andy Mann. Uh, We had a great conversation. We talked about a lot of different things. Uh, Andy, we talked about your history uh, in technology, some really good stuff about the importance of automation, analytics, the disintegration of IT. We got to touch on a great chat you had with Sir Richard Branson and stuff you learned from that. Uh, So, Andy, let's just reintroduce yourself to the audience here just to make sure for folks that didn't already catch it. Where do we find you online?
1: So you'll find me online. So uh, mostly at Andy Mann. So A-N-D-I-M-A-N-N on Twitter. Uh, I do have my own personal blog. uh, It's pleasediscuss.com slash Andy Mann. But if you just Google my name, uh, I'm all over the place. Um, I'm, I'm indiscriminately prolific. So you can just find me anywhere.
0: There we go. So Andy, we we covered a lot of really cool ground in the first uh, part of our chat. And now I just wanna get to the fun one. And I'm gonna start with the question that I always love to ask people because everybody has a different, different angle that they approach it on. And that is, what is DevOps?
1: Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, I hate that question. Should I take a canonical view. <laughs> um, yeah, I take a sort of a canonical view of DevOps. Um, I look at it as the uh, a method of collaboration communication and integration to between development and operations to deliver better software faster that's sort of how I define it you know I think the the movement issues definition uh, and I've spoken with a number of people about this including Patrick Dubois the godfather godfather, grandfather of DevOps Um, and uh, you know part of the idea is that definitions restrict growth. And so they decided they didn't really want to define DevOps because they didn't want to put it in a box. In the end, I'm not sure if that's worked out for us because a lot of people are defining it the way that they feel it should be defined. Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's that fundamental connection, the human element of, of collaboration, communication, integration between DevOps. And,
0: and, and that's the right way to To define it truthfully, like you've you've nailed it there. It's I always tell people it's it's like the Buddha. They say that if you if you if you find someone and they tell you that they're a DevOps engineer, then you must kill them because they are they are not right. Ah yes yes. There is no such thing. You know the ever classic like uh, we're seeking a DevOps manager to build a DevOps team, and and you just (laughs) you just cringe when you look at it. You think my God, we are we are so far from what we really need to be approaching this from which is you know where's the pain points that we've got today what are the constraints we're facing what's the true business you know value that we're gathering from it right cuz devops is while it embraces tons of technology process it really is a business feature right
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we need to be aware of that in IT generally. We've been talking about business IT alignment for the longest possible time, and we're still, you know, in a lot of ways, not that good at it. And agile helped because our part of the theories of agile is really having that business liaison, having having the business continually involved in the development cycle, so that you're not taking requirements six months later, delivering them, and then finding out they were entirely wrong. So it's a good start. <laughs> but we're still not there, and I think DevOps helps take us take us down that path a little bit further. Maybe not all the way, um, but a little bit further.
0: So I think that in the challenges that it solves, let's 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 kind of go through some of them. You know, visibility. This is a a big piece of it. Visibility across teams. You know, where do you see DevOps? And and just newer approaches to more rapidly delivering software and and business value. Like, how do we get visibility across disparate teams and and different groups?
1: Yeah, the visibility thing is really important. It is a big part of DevOps because, you know, part of that theory of collaboration and communication, we've talked about there being a wall between development and operations and software we've thrown over the wall. Operations have no idea what's coming. Um, they would have no visibility into the development pipeline, even into the business plan. Um, it's interesting also, it worked the other way around. Opera, uh, development often had no visibility into the impact of their code. They'd sit there and they'd write code to spec, and they'd write it exactly to spec, and then they'd push it out. Operations would deploy it and run it. But meanwhile, development's gone back, gone, gone on to another project and doing other work. And they never really get to see the the results of what they've done, whether they did it well or whether they were sort of part of growing the business or part of hurting the business. Having that visibility, even just between Dev and Ops, connects both sides to the business better. Um, you can understand your operations. And I'm, I may be coming from a place of bias. Historically, I was a data center operator for many years. And I had really good, broad visibility into everything the organization did because I was running the computer systems that the organization depended on every day. I knew which applications were more important than others, which services I had to focus on getting back up after an outage first, these sorts of things. Um, Whereas in a development environment, you don't necessarily have that straight away. With DevOps, you do. With DevOps, you build it, you run it. Um, is one of the mantras. I think that's uh, Verna Vogel's from Amazon said that something like that. And so as a developer now you see the impact of your code. You understand well when I put that into code, all of a sudden response time went down and my customers started to raise lots of tickets. I guess I did something wrong. Or the <laughs> yeah. corollary, of course. You know when you put code in and you go, oh wow, all of a sudden our user sign-ups have doubled. Well, I did something good today. You know so. It, and it becomes very personal, very human as well, which is another part of DevOps. Is having personal involvement, commitment, accountability for your own work, responsibility for your own work, um, responsibility across the team to others as well. Um, if you do did something that made their life bad, you got to make that right. Yeah, you know, these are the part some of the, the sort of philosophical empathy aspects of DevOps, and having visibility into what the next person in your team is doing. Um, Whether she's writing code, deploying code, maybe she's a DBA, uh, security specialist, you know, because in a large enterprise especially, DevOps doesn't start with dev and doesn't end with ops. Um, And you get to visibility across the whole process, then all of a sudden you're starting to really understand what is my impact on the world, how am I helping my business. And you can make independent decisions at that point. Which means that you can do it better faster cheaper you just fix problems you don't wait for a plan to fix problems because you already know what's the best thing to do there's so many upsides of this movement towards DevOps of things like you know visibility accountability to each other um, uh, empowerment self, you know, self-directed teaming There's so many different aspects to it. Just the human side. We haven't even talked about technology. Um, That there's incredible benefit. And it really does break down those silos, but it gives you that visibility.
0: Yeah. And I think the, we can even start in small ways, right? And I think that's probably, that's the biggest fear that people have is they start to look at what it would take to get there. And it becomes like, if you're told, look, I need to. I've never run before. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to train for a marathon and you look at this, (laughs) you look at this eight month training plan and you're the first thing you do is you just look and think, you know, you start looking way down the road. You look at the seven months and you're like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to run 38 kilometers on a Sunday after having run 22 on a Friday. And you you're already walking into it with trepidation. You're already coming into the approach with fear. So small iterative pieces are part of the approach. And I find, and we talk about DevOps. I've got teams that I've worked with that I've had trouble even just getting ops ops like getting one side of the operations team to work with the other <laughs> yeah. one. And automation is the is the only way. You know, embracing automation even at the smallest place can then make that expansion easier because if you in operations haven't embraced ops, or sorry, automation rather, then, you know, speaking to the development team isn't going to do you much more good other than being aware that you've got more manual processes that are about to hit your, your camp.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it's it's actually a, one slide when I do sort of advisory workshops, and I do a lot of advisory workshops, you know, I'm, uh, I'm working at Splunk as a chief technology advocate um, But a lot of the time I'm out with customers and just doing advisory on cloud or on on DevOps or nothing to do with with Splunk or what we do. Um, And one of the slides that I have, it's it's just got two lines in about 48 points. And it says, find a problem, fix a problem. You don't need to fix every problem in one go. And you're right, these these incremental steps to streamline your process, to automate your tasks, to automate your end-to-end, you can take simple steps. You can find, you know, automation is a great example of this. You know, when you, you, you mentioned that, and I absolutely agree. Automation is, you know, if you want to talk technology in DevOps, automation is absolutely key. And a lot of people will look at that and go, well, my end-to-end process involves five different departments. Yeah, you know, funny story, when you talk about the, 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 the you can't just get ops-ops. Um, you know, one of the theories in DevOps is, is this concept of having a two-pizza team. If your team is too big to feed with two pizzas, then it's just too big, um, whereas I've been to large enterprises where you couldn't feed the team management with two pizzas, <laughs> let alone the individual practitioners. So you, know, you need to break it down. If you have a long end-to-end process that, like you say, you, if you try and think, oh, I want to automate that all at once, it's just too hard, and you, you fail before you start because it's just not going to work but every process can be broken down into a series of tasks and you find just two tasks one after the other that you can automate all of a sudden you've got process automation and then you can build on that you can iterate and there yeah, DevOps is very much about that iteration formula um, and so really is the you know, theories of innovation you know, trying something out trying the MVP the minimum viable product and then iterating on that and adding some extra goodness, um, making it a little bit better, yeah you know, solving just another just one more use case, one more problem. And you can get some amazing stuff done and do it really quickly if you use this sort of sprint mentality rather than try and do a big bang and solve everything at once.
0: yeah, and and often you see the what they call the water scrum fall where people, they, they start to embrace it. It's challenging. And and you have to work with maybe a project management office that hasn't fully embraced, you know, agile methodologies and and scrum as a practice, but you can, you can as a development and operations or security team, like even within the small pocket groups within technology, you can still embrace those practices and satisfy the corporate project reporting, which is, traditionally still like a 12 month plan. Right. And that on its face is, is, is dangerous. You know, the, the fact that we use a 12 month planning cycle and yet we, you know, even quarterly can be challenging, you know, but yet as a business we're required to, because that's sort of the financial reporting is meant to be done on, on 12 month runs, but yeah, it, it goes so far against small iterative, uh, you know, approaches. So it's tough. Like, how do you plan an IT when you've got a CIO who's given you a 12-month budget and telling you to know on know on in in October how you're going to spend it, starting in January when you haven't even gotten to December and spent last year.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. Well, I actually wrote about that in my book, The Innovative CIO, about the idea of how an annual strategy is uh, just toxic to innovation because innovation doesn't happen on an annual basis and so you know, I talked about the idea of rolling strategy so yes you have a one to three year plan maybe a three to five year plan there's a lot of upside in having vision um, it's important to know where you're going where your final destination should be so having like you say that that long-term strategic vision the strategic long-term plan it's still important but have A flexible rolling plan as well that ties into that that lets you revisit and I'm not talking about you know I'm not talking about rogue strategy here I'm talking (laughs) about the senior leadership engaging in this um, engaging in a rolling strategy so that once a year they come up and they review the annual strategy and they plug that into their three to five year plan and make sure it's adjusted and tweaked the right way so that you know you're gonna get where you need to go but every three months or maybe even every month, get together and revisit every element of that strategy and understand, well, what's not working anymore? Because all of a sudden, a new competitor's popped up that I didn't consider. You know, a month ago, you know, one month into my 12-month plan, all of a sudden, I've got an existential threat from a competitor. If I'm only revisiting my plan once every 12 months, that's too late. I'm gonna be out of business in 11 months. Um, And so I think there's an opportunity for IT leadership to do the same thing. You know, they still need to take direction for an annual, uh, you know, like you say, annual budgets, for example, even quarterly budgets. Um, They still need to take direction and plug that into the overall corporate goals and understand how that fits. But at the same time, they need to have the flexibility to be able to course correct continually You think about a large ship, and I use the term course correct very advisably. You think about a large ship in the ocean, and it just keeps going in one direction all the time. In actual fact, you'll find that the captain of any large ship like that is correcting that course on a continual basis. um, to you know, fine-tuned adjustments. They know where they're going. They know the long term. In two months' time, I'm going to be in Kuala Lumpur. Fantastic. But they also know the short term. They know that they have to manoeuvre around this particular storm. They have to manoeuvre through this particular current. Uh, they have to you know, make micro adjustments because they're getting pushed off course by uh, by winds of change, if you will. If I can mix metaphors horribly, um, this is the sort of thing which IT can do, and which Agile and DevOps actually helps them to do.
0: Yeah, the idea of, of tacking, which becomes you know the pivot uh, that Eric Reese sort of. I think he kind of coined the phrase with the idea of lean, lean methodologies, the lean startup idea and being able to pivot. It doesn't mean changing direction. It means putting it back on course with an altered course, like a course correction, as you say, but it's simply because you've embraced adjustment from an external factor. And you're yeah, exactly. you're adjusting course as a result of another external or even an internal factor. It's not that you've gone away from strategy. You're still pointing towards strategy, but just the path to get there may have may have deviated slightly.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Um, and I think you know, adopting things like agile, adopting things like DevOps gives uh, leadership the ability to do those sorts of course corrections. Where historically, in a you know, in a waterfall environment, it didn't. And, yeah, something like an agile fall or a water scrum fall or whatever you'd like to call it, um, you can start to do that as well. You can have small, short iterations within your waterfall process. I certainly wouldn't advise that as ideal, but it's a step in the right direction uh, that can get results.
0: And you hit on something that's important, and I, you talked about revisiting. it. Simply going forward <clears throat> isn't always – is 't going to gain a success because how do you know you've succeeded what what is the importance of looking back the retrospective like what how do you how do you coach people on embracing that part of iterative approaches and, and agile methodologies
1: yeah that's a really interesting one and and certainly I love the sort of work that's being done in the devops community right now around the idea of a blameless post-mortem um, and so I see guys like JP Ja Reed, Uh, talking about this, and others as well, Uh, the idea of of when you get to review what you've done, and in terms of a blameless post-mortem we're we're talking mainly in terms of troubleshooting and triage and post-incident review, but this applies equally, I think, to any kind of historical review, is to try and take the blame game out of it. Because this never helps, and I've worked in an organization many years ago where this was very, much part of their philosophy was no blame, just fix, and that I think is a really, really powerful way to look at uh, readjusting your strategy and your 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 approach to delivering software to delivering business outcomes. Is to understand that it doesn't matter to a large degree caused us to get where we are. What matters is how are we going to get most efficiently and effectively to where we need to be. And in terms of a post mortem, uh, uh, that can be as as simple as, well, here's why it happened. Not who did it, but why it happened to the best of our knowledge. And here's what we can do to at least prevent that particular problem happening again. Working forwards, not working backwards. So taking that historical view and really using it with a lens to make things better rather than to find fault. And I think that's a, a really powerful way to look at readjusting your strategy forward that gets people involved because if you're just looking to blame someone and looking to find fault with what went wrong then people won't want to get involved they will sit there and they'll cringe in a corner because they don't want to get called on it's like being at school and not having the answers to the homework you just don't want to get called on Um, whereas if it's an open discussion looking for ideas to move forward you get more ideas um, there's also elements, just by the way, of diversity in this, of different cultures and genders reacting differently to you know, pressures around your accusation or blame, um, you know, these sorts of things as well. So that when you have that more open, collaborative, inviting culture in your organization, you actually get more value out of a diverse culture as well because it's more inviting for people who might otherwise be uh, less aggressive to speak up in these situations are actually having their opinion heard. And so you actually get so much more value out of this open, collaborative looking forward than you would ever get out of a post mortem blame game kind of revisiting.
0: Yeah, and I think the the phrase that I I've heard or and 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 I always tell people <clears throat> when you see somebody who who is sort of critical not in the in not in the nice way but you know I so said the the phrase is oh uh, yeah you know people often look into others for the thing which they despise in themselves and they tend to you know anthropomorphize somebody else's activity to a, an emotion that they're trapped on or, or feeling and so yeah. when you do find groups that have challenging you know uh you know collaboration like our challenges with collaboration it's good to kind of like not just you know set it aside and say well it won't work but like let's let's find the source of that and and yeah openness transparency it's 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 absolutely tantamount to to get into that that goal and you've you've hit on a couple of the key ones, and you know we talked about lean. You know that's obviously lean as a methodology. I'm a massive fan. I literally reread every four to six months Lean Startup as part of my huh. my sort of group of Bibles. Uh, the yeah. other one is uh, my daily. My daily mantra, what would Eli Goldrat do? It is ah, you know, the the goal, you know, theory of constraints. We've you've hit on it, of course DevOps is wrapped around it. Find the constraints, you know, attack that, remove it, move on to the next constraints. Don't don't think of it. You know, look at the overall system, but think in terms of constraints throughout. Uh, what what are some good resources? And, and one of my favorite questions I love to ask, you know, what's what's on your bookshelf? If I were to say, Andy, I need I need to know three books that I should read that are going to give me the ability to execute the vision that you've got for myself, you know, or help me to do that. What are the kind of oh, top titles? Um, so
1: I can't, I'm not going to do an L. I think it was L. McPherson, an Australian model, uh, once said something along the lines, of, I've never read a book that I've not written. Uh, so I would certainly plug my own books, of course. Uh, but <laughs> the better options, um, I would absolutely start with the Phoenix Project, as I'm sure you you would as well. Um, uh, Kevin Bear, Gene Kim, um,
0: and George uh, Spafford. Yeah. Uh, George
1: Spafford. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely the Phoenix Project. Fantastic. When you look at seminal literature, yes, the goal is 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 brilliant. Um, Applied very much to the manufacturing environment, but this is where DevOps is sort of coming from these days is applying these manufacturing theories of of waste and throughput and uh, the things you were talking about there Um, They're fantastic honestly. I get so much of my information just from people's blogs Um, Things like IT Revolution, Syscon um, You know the large volume of of writings on DevOps.com um, but also the individual practitioners. I'm, I'm at the moment getting really into uh, Matthew Skelton talking about uh, the importance of logging and analytics in DevOps. Um, you know, at various times, like I said, I've been reading um, J. Paul Reed and some of his blog and content. Um, the O'Reilly books, I picked up a stack of little O'Reilly books. Um, DevOps in Practice, which is a couple of case studies from J. Paul Reed. Um, fascinating, really short books, by the way. These are like almost e-books. Oh, cool. Um, compliance, compliance at Speed was another one. Mark Lustig. Um, talking about how you can do rugged DevOps, you know, apply compliance and audit theory to theories around DevOps. I love um, that phrase, um, rugged that DevOps. Really,
0: really, <laughs> I'm going to use that. Yeah, rugged now and... DevOps.
1: It's the whole thing. Um, yeah, because you know, people talk about DevOps as being a bunch of cowboys, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, some people put... DevOps in opposition to, you know, traditional ITIL and service management discipline, but it doesn't need to be that way. And so the idea of rugged DevOps is you can be, you can lock it down and be strong with your security, but still be fast and agile with your process. Um, the other one that I really got a lot out of, and again, it's one of these little tiny O'Reilly booklets, um, and I'm literally looking at it on my desk right now, The Human Side of Postmortems by Dave Zwieback. Um Again, it's about this blameless postmortem, thing, about about getting to ways to go forward rather than finding ways to blame people. So, yeah, these are the sorts of things I've been reading most recently. Um, it's it's tough, tough, though. I just I follow a lot of amazing people on Twitter, and I, I learn every day just from, even from throwaway lines, you know. Uh, I, all of a sudden get me thinking about stuff that I hadn't been thinking about. Yeah. So engaging with the community, I think, is probably the most Important way of learning around DevOps.
0: That's cool, and that's yeah, it's the heart of everything. Every success that I've had has been, I'll say, on the on you know risen on the backs of others because of the community of folks that are around us that inspire us, help us in in so many different ways. And it's like I said, I just I'm a regular reader of Twitter because I I love the sort of real time passion that's continuously going on around us. And if you step away from it for two, three days, four days, whatever, you know, you go away for a vacation, you come back, it's exactly where you left it because it's now. And yeah. and I love that because, you know, it's there's just so much great stuff that's continuously going on. Uh, yeah. And I can, this is my, my goal, you know, very soon is to somehow corral uh, Gene, uh, Kevin and George all on here. At the same time, which I know will be tr- probably like trying to 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 get the stones to play in in my backyard, but <laughs> I'm sure that I can do it. <laughs> only because every single guest I've had on thus far has mentioned the Phoenix Project as one of their first reads, as like a key. Yeah, lead. it's fantastic. So and you know, I, I
1: count I count Gene and Jim and uh, Gene and, and and Kevin and George as as mates of mine, and they are there. If you ever get them on. Have fun. They're great guys to to just shoot the breeze with, and they're so smart. Uh, you'll get a lot out of that, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. And then, uh, so yeah, of course, you know, we you talked about your book, uh, the innovative CIO, uh, you know, visible ops. Also, a great read. Like the it's, uh, this is there's so much good information that's out there. Uh, I'm very you know honored to have you on, and and to count you among folks that I can reach out to and and chat with because it's it's neat to see that you've you've done this in practice, you've delivered and you've seen the the challenges amongst it and I think that's the biggest thing is is watching folks that have gotten through the challenges and gotten on the other side. And there's always a freshman class, there's always a new group of folks that are that are ready to to start again and the more we go through it, I think the better we get at it and it's great to share that that journey with people. So yeah, tell me,
1: and, and I would just say, Eric, I, I feel privileged to even be on this on this podcast, um, connecting with people like you who are so active in the community, so engaged. Um, the, and for me, this is where I learn as well is connecting with uh, people like you who are actively engaged in the community. It's all it's all the ability to share these information and views and, and come up
0: with new ideas together. It's so exciting. It's invigorating. That's great. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to ask you before we go here tell us about Sageable, you know, I was excited when I saw you, uh, you know, make the jump and you know, it was that sort of like, Oh, there's gotta be something cool coming. And I tell you, you, you delivered on that. So tell us a bit about Sageable and, and, and what that's been for you for the last little while, you know, along with, you know, the stuff you've done, of course, with Splunk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I, when I, I I left my last role, uh, because I felt like I had a lot to give and to share around especially DevOps and digital transformation cloud computing um, I Wanted to start up my own sort of consulting and advisory business. Uh, I called it sageable uh, and a Very pointed name not that I'm a sage just that I can learn to be one um, and so you know I'm sageable and you know, That was the idea behind it was to try and use my knowledge to help people learn Um, and so I've been reasonably effective with that with a number of engagements but then you know what Splunk came along and said you know Andy we really need you to do some work for us more on a full-time basis and so more or less Sageable is shelved I still uh, do some uh, a little bit of consulting on uh, for essentially special projects in fact I'm about to take a call with some old mates of mine um, just to shoot the breeze and to understand a little bit more about their business and their challenges and try and help them out with some challenges that they've got. Um, mostly though, I'm, fo- I'm 100% focused on my work at Splunk these days, which is advocating for technology adoption and you know, innovation to my customers uh, but also advocating to Splunk on how to make our software better and, and service those customers better and deliver better experiences. So it's a it's an interesting time for me. I'm going through a lot of change Um, but I tell you Splunk especially is providing me with a platform that I don't miss being able to go out with Sageable and talk to lots of different people and solve lots of different problems because at Splunk that's exactly what I'm doing Um, so and I'm doing it with an amazing team behind me so yeah all the greatest plans of of mice and men uh, sometimes go awry I don't know if Sageable will be a full-time venture for me eventually uh, for the time being Splunk is where I'm at, and I'm enjoying the heck out of it.
0: Excellent. Well, with that, Andy, uh, this has been great. Thank you very much. Uh, we've had uh, two great sessions together, and and I'm really glad to have had the opportunity to have you on. Uh, of course, let's remind everybody where we can find you online if people want to keep the conversation going and 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 have a chat with you. Uh, and also, have you got any events that are coming up uh, over the course of the next few months?
1: Ah, yes. Interestingly. Um, I will be doing it at a number of events over the next few months. Firstly, where can you find me online? Well, at Andy Mann on Twitter, obviously. Uh, that's A-N-D-I-M-A-N-N. Um, if you Google Andy Mann, I'm blogging and posting articles all over the shop. Um, I'm going to be at a couple of events. I would love to catch up with people in person. Uh, I'm going to try and get to DevOps Days in London. That's April 19th to 20th. I'm probably going to try and get to the DevOps Days Vancouver as well. Um, that's April 15th to 16th. Um, after that, there's a bunch of stuff that's potentially on my calendar. Um, DevOps Day Seattle, DockerCon in June in San Francisco is going to be very cool. Monitorama, I've never been, but I've watched it from afar on online. It looks like a fantastic event, so I'm going to try and get up to Portland in uh, in late June for that. Um, and a couple of big ones as well: EMC World in May, Cisco Live in July. you know These are the these are some of the things that I've tentatively got on my calendar at the moment. I'd love to catch up with any of your listeners in person. Uh, they can always hit me up on Twitter uh, if they if they want to catch me up at a conference or anywhere else.
0: Uh, I will will I find you at Interop again this year? I know last year we got a chance to meet up there, uh, so that was great. But have you got a, a presence there at all this year?
1: I, I don't think I will be at interop this year It was a great conference last year I'm still working on whether I might be able to I might I'm I'm looking at the information week CIO summit Which is co-located with interop and cloud connect, and that's a fantastic event, too um, A lot of my mates my always C level CIO mates turn up there So it's like a a family reunion for me. So I'm going nice. to try and get along to that. Um, we'll see how that works
0: Good stuff. Well, Andy, thank you very much for for sharing uh, sharing your vision and and your stories and uh, and you know both through your work online and, and right here. Uh, this has been great. And uh, thank you to everybody, of course, for folks that want to continue the conversation uh, with myself. Uh, you can do so uh, in the Green Circle community. Uh, I'm uh, Disco Posty in there. You can find me at Disco on Twitter. Uh, if you want to of course subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already go to GCondemand.io and that'll have the links to subscribe through iTunes. Uh, you can also get subscribed on Stitcher. Uh, you can have it in your Ford automobile if you'd like to carry it around with you everywhere you go or any old iOS or Android device. Uh, thank you for listening and uh, we will talk to you all again soon and thanks very much, Andy. Thank you. Into the disco posse podcast.